Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're going to kick it back a little this week and just take some time to answer some of y'all's most burning questions surrounding CFF this time of year. We'll be touching on draft strategy, post-hype sleepers, freshmen, changes in offensive systems, team defenses, and even so much more than that. Honestly, I'm kind of hard-pressed to think of a topic we won't be touching on today. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside, drop down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. Well, it is June, Dynasty Month has passed, and now we're kind of in that part of the season where, you know, not a lot of news coming out and everything. So it's really just all of us sitting back and just kind of coming up with different things to discuss. And I figured no better way to start off that time of year than to reach out to all of you guys listening out there and to just ask you guys, what what kind of questions do you want us to answer on the pod? So we got about 15 questions here today that we will be discussing. But to help us with that, I have our wonderful resident IDP and CFF expert here at Campus Duke Canton, Mr. Justice. Justice, how are you doing today, sir? Doing good, man. Enjoying a nice, peaceful, quiet Sunday afternoon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got again my my new place. If y'all if y'all can't tell, if you're watching on YouTube, you can probably tell my background is very different uh, than what I have used in the past. We got a new place, so we're all moved in and everything. Still got to hang some stuff up and everything, but we got like a porch now, and it's got a forest view. Oh my god, dude! I cannot tell you. I, like once once we get some patio furniture and everything like that, it's gonna be hard to get me off of that. Whenever like I just need to sit down and like write something for like the CFF guide, pull out my laptop, just go out back there. And just sit back there for hours. Oh, can't wait for that. But first, I need money. So we'll figure that part out later. <laughs> but yeah, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we got a lot of great uh, questions from y'all today. Some of y'all asked multiple questions. We went through and we picked one question from each of you. So if I don't get to some of your questions, I might go back on Twitter and answer them on Twitter. But really appreciate you guys coming in and giving us some really awesome questions. Uh, like I said, pretty much touching on almost any type of cff topic here today we got some kind of big names we'll touch on but we also got some like you guys asking for some sleepers so we'll provide that for you guys here today but first let's just go ahead and get this out of the way and let's go ahead and do my spiel my spiel guys if you want to support what we're doing here for college fantasy football make sure you go over and subscribe to campus to where we have all of our written content tools and everything you need for your cff c2c and Devin needs and even some college idp fantasy tools over there justice you've been doing an incredible job with that kind of stuff over there and we got even more stuff coming your way constantly we have ideas flowing behind the scenes in our slack channel tons of great stuff coming y'all's way 
And if you really want to support the show as well, make sure you're following myself and the show on Twitter at CFF underscore Jared and the show's Twitter as well at Chasing the Natty. You can also follow Justice at Justice underscore 2318. Again, that's Justice at underscore 2318. And then if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. We do have that goal of hitting 1,000 subscribers by the start of the season and with our... Uh, live mock drafts coming up, all those live streams that you guys loved last year. Definitely tell all your friends about that. Can't wait to get those started up. The first one of those we have is coming up on June 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Got a great guest lined up for you guys. Got to confirm some things. I haven't announced it yet who's going to be, but it's going to be a pretty fun guest for you guys. It's been somebody I've been trying to get on the show for pretty much two years now. So hopefully we can get that going. And then if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you just follow there. Leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Love, love to read those from you guys. And last but not least, just want to shout out my awesome CFF team over here at Campus of Canton. I really couldn't do it without them. Nate Marquise, Chris K, Justice, obviously. Uh, Brandon Sanders, Chris Moxley, Ethan Sowers, Justin Leo, a.k.a. Volume Pigs, has been doing some awesome work on the website with some of the articles he's written. I really couldn't do half of what I do without these guys. So make sure you're following each and every one of those guys on twitter justice shall we just go ahead and get into this man yeah or do you want to actually i I just thought about this what do you want do we want to talk about our supplemental draft we've been doing through last couple like last oh i mean we can we can it's yeah i mean the uh i I know i've said in the group chat numerous times like i'm i was so i was asked to join the league i guess in the second round last year i think the, the previous owner, yeah. Well, I, I was up in the second round, I okay, guess. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Because he had timed out in this first round, and he was getting ready to time out in the second round. Yes, I remember um, now. And so, um, you know, I didn't really have a lot of preparation time, but uh, but what I what I've seen like since then, and and pre- prepping for this year's draft is like it astounds me, like how insanely high that league values quarterbacks given the size of the league mm-hmm. like i i feel like this league values quarterbacks higher than a 2014 start three quarterback league which it is just like I've, I've never i've never like i've never seen that like for given the, was it 12 teams 14 teams maybe 14 teams um and so yeah like that continues to fascinate me i guess you could say dude (laughs) but i mean other than that like you know i'm happy with my draft so far well you only had like 50 billion picks i feel like you traded (laughs) last year dude like justice my team was not good my team was not good yeah i think justice traded back like 17 times last year and like asked for 2023 picks and so like i'm literally looking at justice every time it, it leaves my pick and i'm like holy crap justice got like two to three picks between mine my between um uh, my between here and my next pick like and it's every single time it's not just one side of the draft um this draft is i consider the hardest that i do every single year because these are really really smart guys that do this draft and they're all very very good at what they do and my big thing this year was like i traded for joe milton and i'm like okay i'm at the 106 i might be able to get uh nico iamalieva there and <laughs> as it got closer and closer i again i kind of realized what justice realized i'm like man this 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 
this league really values QBs and there's no way Nico's still going to be there at the 106. But I'm like, okay, so it's probably Dante, Arch, or Malachi Nelson that go off at the 101. And then some other good options there. I might be, if I trade up to like the 102 through 104, I can, I, I will increase my chance of getting Nico there. I think I talked to you, Justice. I talked to Brandon and I talked, yeah. I, I, and I talked to Whedon, who is at 102. I talked to all three of you guys. None of you were going to budge. I'm like, well, crap. I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to um, press my luck. Or I'm, I'm just going to have to cross my fingers here. Draft starts. Immediately, somebody trades up from the back end of the round and takes Nico 101. And I'm just like, well, shoot. I'm really glad that I did not. Because I, ne- I never expect him to go off 101. Uh, I, I certainly did not either. I mean, I think we were talking like before the pick was traded, we, we all thought Arch Manning might be the 1.1. And so I was thinking, okay, well, I'll get my pick of Malachi, Nelson, or Nico, right? Well, yeah, that that plan kind of went out the window really quick. <laughs> that's not entirely. And, and, and I hadn't even thought about, didn't even think about another plan, right? So no, that's that, that's an entire draft. Is like every time we think that we kind of know what's going to happen in a supplemental draft, it's like no, absolutely not. It it, it it's definitely the most frustrating. Like I said, it's the hardest draft I do every year because I plan and plan and plan for it. And then immediately, like you, you got to change your entire plan almost immediately. It's yeah, it's absolutely oh yeah, nuts. like it, it definitely threw me for a loop. Um, so I ended up taking Cedric Baxter, and then um, because I missed because my first round pick got skipped last year because the previous owner wasn't around, I was awarded like a compensatory pick, if you will, at the end of the second round. Yeah, or I'm sorry, end end of the first round, and I ended up getting Arch Manning there. So I was. I was really shocked that like Arch was still there, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, happy I'm, to I'm, happy I'm not, to take him. I'm not super high on Arch because I think he has to still has to follow that same path that like Quinn Ewers does, where like he just has to throw a crap ton of touchdowns. I don't really think they're gonna have him run a ton in Sarkeesian's offense. So yeah, I'm not I'm not high on him either, but I just felt like I couldn't. Yeah, the given free pick. The, right, given the fact of how this league values quarterbacks and I, I just figured I could I didn't feel like I could pass up on that opportunity I will say it sucked not having a second round pick this year because like there were so many people left on the board and I was just watching all the guys that I want to just go off one after another and I'm like I got nothing to trade with here so all right that's enough people, people don't want to hear us talk about this for hours on end let's go ahead and get to the first question here and this will kind of double as our transfer portal news segment of the week because quite frankly Zachary Franklin is now at Ole Miss and Ben Wagner here basically took the opportunity to say like hey he is now officially committed to Ole Miss where do you put him in your wide receiver rankings with this landing spot for those of you who don't know I took Zachary Franklin completely out of my wide receiver rankings until he found a home because I had really no clue where he was going to land because if he went back to UTSA boom he goes right back to the top if he went to Old Miss, which I'll get to in a second here, he's probably going to be all right with his lane spot. And then if he went somewhere like LSU or anywhere like that, I, I would not have known really where to put him. So I'll start off with this question here. So obviously, Old Miss not nearly as good as him going back to UTSA. So he's taking a tumble for me. Um, I'm currently having him hover around the wide receiver 45 to 50 range. Um, and you, some, some people might be saying like, oh, that's, that seems really, really kind of harsh here, Jared. Like, again, if he's the number one wide receiver at Ole Miss, 
which I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. But regardless, let's let's pretend that he is. I don't think that position's as great as we have been kind of building it up, at least for last year. Last year, Malik Keith, 60 catches, 971 yards, five touchdowns. That's the full year. In the regular season, he went 52, 834, and four touchdowns. And he finished as a wide receiver 85 last year. So he had some good games. But for the most part, like there were a lot of games where you were kind of mostly disappointed with him. He didn't really catch on till close to the end of the year. So if we pretend that that is what Zachary Franklin's going to see this year, he's not somebody that you really want to be drafting right now. Again, that ceiling's capped right there. In addition, he's going to be battling... Um, uh, Zachary Franklin's going to be battling guys like Trey Harris, who just came over from Louisiana Tech. I do think Franklin's a better receiver than Trey Harris, but even still, they're going to be battling each other. You got Jordan Watkins from Louisville finally kind of stepping up in the slot there. Definitely going to be fighting him for targets. And then you got their two tight ends, Prescorn and Trigg. And even so, let's say last year, again, you had Keith. He only had five touchdowns on the year. Let's bump that up to like eight. Because again, maybe that's just bad touchdown luck right there. That still would only put Franklin in the wide receiver 53 last year. So I really think the ceiling's mostly capped here. And if you don't believe me, we can get, go even back even further with Charlie Weiss as the offensive coordinator last year, as well as his time at USF. 2018, 65, 873, and five touchdowns. 2019. 61 catches, 771 yards, and five touchdowns. Those were his top receiver numbers. Yeah, that's decent. That'll get you some good weeks. So I probably would probably take him in a best ball draft. But if you're looking at him in a redraft, I would not be drafting him really that highly. Justice, your thoughts here, man? So I think I agree with you. Um, I just redid all my rankings on our site um, over last, last weekend. And so I was trying to refresh my memory here before the show, but um, I ranked Franklin assuming he was going to Ole Miss um, because that was kind of the rumor that was pretty prevalent at that time. And I ranked him 41. Mm -hmm. And um, that's assuming he is the wide receiver one, right? That Which, is assuming. Eh, you know, and the more I think about it, I'm not so sh – I don't feel that's, that's certain about that, right? So um, – I can certainly see it being lower, right? With the the fact that he's moving up, you know, quite a bit in terms of level of competition. That's a strike against him. Number two, yep. he's coming in like super late. That feels like a strike against him. So yep. it, it's not if I was gonna bet money, is he gonna be the wide receiver one for Ole Miss? Yes or no? I'm gonna put money on no. <laughs> oh, really? Well, so, so again, th that begs the question then, who becomes the wide receiver one for Ole Miss? I I, I don't I don't know who I think would be the wide receiver one. I just feel like it's going to be, we, we talk about running back by committee, but receiver, like by committee. receiver by committee, you know, like I just feel like there's just, there's so many bodies that I feel are at least somewhat similarly talented that mm -hmm. it's going to be spread around a lot. Yeah. So I'm looking at his May ADP right here and, it's actually really good ADP because he entered the portal right there at the end of April and everything. So last month he was being taken as the wide receiver 16 in the transfer portal. That puts him at an ADP of looks like in the mid to late third round. So he, he, st he dropped for sure. But like, oh, yeah. if you assumed it was like, again, let's say that's people kind of 
shooting the gap of like, all right, if he goes back to Ole Miss or if he goes back to UTSA, yeah, I got a steal in the third round. So maybe now that he's at Ole Miss, he drops down to like the fifth round. That's still way too high for me. Like I'm like, if yeah. I have him at wide receiver 46 right now, which is where I currently have him in my rankings, that makes him like a 10th, 11th round value for me right now. I'll take the shot there, especially in best ball, like I said. But for yeah. now, I think this is quickly going to be a guy that is way overvalued in drafts. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think he's someone that's going to go higher than I would ever take him, most likely. So, All right. Justice, we'll have you answer this next question here. This is kind of a fun one, very big overarching one. Where are you most comfortable with taking each position in a draft? So like early, middle, late, are you somebody, Justice, who is okay with like punting on a position to get them late? Is there a position that you feel like you need to hit on early because you don't like what you can grab later? What is is kind of your overall draft strategy with that? So I think the number one, I mean, I hate to answer a question with a question, but before you can really answer this question, you need to understand the league settings, right? Of course. Um, and, you know, how, how big is the league? How's the scoring? All of those things. Um, because, you know, like we just talked about earlier, the, the, that league we're drafting in now, like they value QBs like no one's business. And, so in that league, you you have to be. The point is, you have to be able to adjust, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can you can have a strategy, but you got to be able to adjust depending on the league. Um, let's say I would say, ge- generally speaking, like a twelve team, two quarterback league. Yeah, like my best. Um, um, I'm probably waiting on quarterback. Like um, the two positions, I'm probably waiting. I'm waiting longest probably on tight end, right? Unless like unless. I'm going to spend up and get like Gadsden or Bowers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably waiting on tight end. The the longest of the positions, um, but the QB would probably be next. I no, just sure. feel like, um, you know, there, there, there are QBs. I like, you know, more so in the, uh, that I can get later. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas running back and wide receiver, I'm not, not necessarily don't have that same feeling, right? Especially, I feel like, especially with wide receivers this year, um, I feel like, um, like I, I, I want to grab them early. So I kind of have an interesting way to think about this and everything because my default strategy, and I've done a lot of best ball leagues this year, so there's been some that I've, I've made myself do a different strategy, but there's some where I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to go with the guy, the guys that I like here. And my kind of default has been grabbing an elite wide receiver early. One to two of them depends on how early I am in the draft. So, like, if I'm at the tail end, I'll probably hit one, two, two wide receivers there. And then, man, once I'm in that third round, I'm smashing running backs. Uh, Rounds, like, three through nine. I think there's a ton of great value in running backs there. Lots of guys fall into that range that I feel very comfortable with and I feel like are almost just as good as the guys that you'll take in like round two, especially like Blake Corum, Braylon Allen. I love those guys, but I think you're spending up a little bit too much when you can get a guy like, you know, CJ Donaldson and like the fifth, sixth round. You can get Jace McClellan in that third, fourth round range. You can get some pretty good guys there without having to spend up nearly as much. And that kind of frees up that second round pick a little bit to do what Justice said, which is go grab a guy like Bowers, go grab a guy like a Ronde Gadsden if they are there and there's not wide receivers that you don't like. 
man, I've been finding a lot of value at QB in round seven to ten. I've been po- I've been posting about that on Twitter recently about just like the last few best balls. I just hit four QBs in a row right in that range, and it has been awesome. But here's the part that gets interesting to me. Once you get late, there's a reason why I smash running backs in that kind of like three through nine There's a range. cliff, right? There's a massive cliff at one point. <laughs> yeah, there's a and cliff. I, yeah. I move away from running backs and wide receivers, even though I hit elite wide receivers early, I feel much more comfortable taking yeah. shots on wide receivers later on than I do with the running back. So again, I, I grab one to two guys. I'm sure fire no at wide receiver, smash running backs, and then pivot back to wide receivers later on. Does that make sense? I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I would say like I agree with you a hundred percent. Like speaking in generalities, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like in leagues, like the one we're drafting, and I have to force myself to take quarterbacks uh, way earlier than I ever would, just because the league values quarterbacks. So you have leagues that value quarterbacks, then you have leagues that are so big that inherently quarterbacks have more value, right? Of course, because there is so, a cliff with those know, you, eventually. Yeah, and so that, that you, you know, you just got to be able to adjust and, and know your league, uh, know your league mates, how they, you know, tend to draft and what your settings are. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you, Falco, for that question. Let's move on to our next one here. This one comes from our good old buddy, Mr. Nate Marquise. He asked a question that actually got a couple people buzzing in the comments underneath, so good job on you, Nate, for coming up with that sweet, sweet engagement content on Twitter. But he asked in our comment section, who is this year's Bo Nix, the Chris K special, as we might say, the veteran that's been underwhelming most of his career, but then blows up this year in 2023. And then he asked the second question. This is where I let him cheat a little bit, but it, it was a good it was a good double question here. On the flip side, who's that proven CFF veteran that flops like Lou Nichols and Tavion Thomas did last year? So... I guess I will start with this one, and we'll we'll take one question at a time. So who is my Bo Nix this year? Well, I wanted to not pick a guy that was talked about in the comics, comics, good Lord, comments. And so that meant Spencer Rattler, uh, Tyler Van Dyke, and Emery Jones were pretty much off my discussion possibilities here. And I think all three of those guys are actually really good answers. I think... Any three of those guys, for the most part, could end up having really, really good years. Maybe not Tyler Van Dyke because we haven't really seen the rushing upside of him. But like Emory Jones, I fully expect an up a, I fully expect a bounce back year for him. Now that he's pretty much locked down that Cincinnati job, you got Scott Satterfield who's done wonderful things with Lily Cunningham over there. That could be really, really fun for us this year. But speaking of Louisville guys. I think the one I have kind of settled in on here, I don't know if he's going to be quite the boat. He's not going to be quite the Bo Nix level, like potential QB one guy, but I think I'll end up having a really good year. And that is, I'm going to go with Jack Plummer again, very mediocre for most of his career. But again, you got him coming back to Louisville with Jeff Brom. Brom basically handpicked him out of the portal and said, Hey, come on back to me. Aiden O'Connell, the bad man's gone. You can finally start and we don't have to worry about anything. And you're pretty much almost locking him in for 500 passing attempts, and this is going to be in the ACC. This is no longer Brahms' offense in the Big Twelve or the Big Ten, where you have defenses constantly slowing things down, running games constantly slowing things down. I can see a lot of shootout potential there, and for Brahm to have a much more successful quarterback, 
than he's had in the last couple of years. And then you look at Louisville's schedule, they dodge Clemson. They dodge Florida State, two of the toughest defenses in that conference. So, and they're out of conference. They they get Notre Dame, which is not great. And they just still get NC State right before that. Not a great two weeks there. But they're out of conference is Murray State in Indiana. I think that Plummer's in for a really, really good year this year. Again, I don't know about like, you know, top QB1 levels, unless they just get really, really efficient. But I think that's going to be my pick for now. There's another guy I want to talk about that I really think has QB1 potential, but that'll come in on a later question. So Justice, who is your Bo Nix, Chris K special? So I wrote down um, three names, and I had not seen Nate's um, Twitter post, so I didn't see like any of the responses. Um, the first name I won't talk about on here is one of the responses was Spencer Rattler. Um, the next name I wrote down was DJU. I thought about DJ. Because um, he offers the rushing upside, right? Yep. Um, especially like the goal line potential like touchdowns. Um but it's interesting you call this a Chris K special because the answer, like I that I wrote down, you did not write definitely down. Chris K special is JJ McCarthy. Stop, Justice. We don't need to feed this man anymore. <laughs> um, no, but like, uh, yeah, that 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 is, and 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 this is a question that I've actually thought about before, right? And we've talked, we've talked about in our oh, yeah. Slack probably, I don't know, months ago. <laughs> um, but JJ McCarthy like has the tool set to be able to do it. He does. The biggest the biggest question is is will they allow him to do it? Right. Yeah. That's n- number one. Will they allow him to do it? And number two, probably the biggest concern for me is they don't necessarily play a lot of games where they are forced to allow him to do it. Right. Yes. Um. They, they they can just run the ball a million times and win the game and and. I think that's Harbaugh's mo, um, because he's he's. I, th- I feel like he's you know risk adverse. Yep. And so um, I don't know that 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 if I if I had to bet money on one of the three guys I wrote down, I think I'd, I'd bet money on McCarthy. Um, I just think his skill set um, and and you know matches closer to like Bo Nix, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, they're they're a good team. He has he has you know a good offense. You know, around him, other pieces. So, all righty. Again, Chris K is gonna be happy to hear you <laughs> hear you on that bandwagon. Yeah, and, and I didn't know you were gonna call it the Chris K special, right? but that's pretty. That's well, because he he called he called Bo Nix last year, and then he called Kenny Pickett the year before. So again, I'll, I'll give him credit where it's due. He's been good at this the last couple of years. So he's on JJ McCarthy this year now, but um. I've done a pretty good job too because I grabbed in that in that dynasty league that we were talking about. I grabbed Kenny Pickett in like the 40th round on the startup year and everything, and it, yeah. and, and he oh, yeah. ended up just shooting off. And then last year I grabbed um, Michael Penix Jr. in like the 23rd round of the supplemental, and so like that. And, and my redraft leagues, I'm 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 fairly confident Bo Nix was a undraft. You know, oh, he, he was, was a free agent. He absolutely was, and everybody saw him <laughs> against Georgia. They're like, oh, glad I dodged that bullet, and then he just blew up right. the rest of the year. Right. Yep. All right. So the other side of this question here, Justice. On the flip side, who's that proven CFF veteran that flops like Lou Nichols and Tavion Thomas did last year? I'll go with mine first because I think this is somewhat of a doozy for people who are drafting him right now. 
I was big on LaDamian Webb coming back before spring and everything like that. I'm kind of getting scared of him right now. Because this staff cannot shut up about how much they love how deep this running back room is for them. It really does sound like that last year, LaDamian Webb's um, volume was almost out of necessity because they didn't feel like they had anybody behind him that could step up. And then he gets injured towards the end of the year. And it kind of proves to the staff that like, hey, we can't run a guy 200 times like we have been and expect him to stay healthy the whole time. So it sounds like they're going to move a little bit more towards a committee approach. And I don't think Webb's going to you know fall off a cliff. I think he'll still be good for you several weeks out of the year. But I don't think we can really at this point expect what we got last year where he had 150 more carries than the next guy. I think guys like Brandon Crum, Jake Hopper, who the staff has said have taken massive steps this spring, are probably going to eat into his volume just a little bit more. And then they have three good wide receivers. Again, you got, you got Lacey, you got Voison, you got uh, Ivory there now. They might take away some of the touchdown production there as well because Webb had 13 t- touchdowns last year. You would expect that to probably regress a little bit given the volume that, or given the um, production that he had on the ground. So that's where I'm going with. I think he's probably the one I'm the most scared of in that like first two to three round range. I agree with you. I feel like, I feel like he's like, I hate to use the word artificially, but he's artificially popped, you know, propped up because of the lack of, what I would say high end elite running back talent this year. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think where, where you're drafting him, like, yeah. And what your expectations are. Um, I feel like I agree with you. They're not going to be met or not likely to be met. I think. Yeah. 100%. So justice, who's your bust? Who, who's your guy that you're so, thinking flops? So the, the guy that, you know, we talked before you, you had mentioned you, you were going to talk about web. So, my guy might necessarily be what I would consider like a veteran, but he is a somewhat proven commodity. So I, I kind of would throw him in that group, and that's Richard Reese at Baylor. Um, he's not – I don't I don't know his ADP, but I feel like he's probably going like right around RB20. Um, if you could look that up, Jared. But, I am um, RB43. So, so my concern about Reese is like he's so small. And – you know, he got he got close to a thousand yards last year, but similar to like we you with you said with Ladamian Webb, I feel like that was uh, for the most part out of necessity. They had a lot of injuries. Um, obviously there were some issues with like Tay McWilliams. I think he had an injury, and then he clearly got in the doghouse and like left the school. Mm-hmm. Um, he's only 175 pounds. Uh, Quaylen Jones is still there. They brought in Dominic Richardson from o- Oklahoma State. Yep. Um, Jordan Jenkins, who was a uh, also a freshman that, at least from a, a rating standpoint, was fairly high up there. Um, and I'm not saying like any of those guys are necessarily better than Richard Reese. I just feel like it's going to be much more of a committee approach than it was last year. And, and Reese's size just really scares me for him to, you know, get a thousand yards and double digit touchdowns. And to your point on that, we saw them last year pull the plug on Richard Reese. Like he would have like a 30 carry game and then he'd go to having like four to eight carries in the very next week because they realize the amount of volume that they're giving him. And they say like, all right, we got to give this guy a break. So we can't expect that 
on a week-to-week basis even this year. Now, hopefully we find like a little sweet spot in there where they think, okay, we can give him 20 carries a game, and then you still got a really good CFF running back for yourself. Or at least 20 touches somehow, right? He can be more efficient. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. But like to your point as well, like he's going in the 10th round right now, RB43. I'm personally comfortable with having him as like my fourth RB off the board, and sometimes I can find him even a little bit later than that sometimes. But is that an okay range for you, Justice? Or I'm probably out on him. Um, I just, I don't know. He's not like, he doesn't fit the type of guy that I'm trying to draft. No, I get it. Um, yeah. And I, I know some people like him even more, right? It seems like there's two groups of people. And maybe that's why the ADP is a little lower than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. People either like really, really in on him or people, pe- people not so in on him. And so... Yeah, maybe that maybe that's why that ADP is where it is. Yeah. I I expected I expected it to be closer to like I don't know seven or eight round seven or eight. I was I was curious. I, um, I was trying to look up his efficiency. He wasn't as efficient as I thought he was last year. But I was has, more, his, oh, has his ADP moved much over the months? Or uh, let me check. Actually, I can actually look that up with our handy dandy little thing here. Uh, let me see if I can find. I don't think so. Um, he actually he went down this uh, from April to May. He went down about uh, fifteen spots. So about um, okay. he went from the like middle of the eighth round to like directly at the end of the tenth round, basically. Yeah, I feel like I do feel like sometimes people forget about him, right? And so, yeah. I mean, if I'm getting them, if, I, if for me to consider him, I'm probably looking like round thirteen or something, okay. but. He's usually not going that late, so. <laughs> All righty. Let's move on to our next category of questions. We got like four questions in a row here where people just specifically ask about a certain player. So we will go ahead and start knocking through those. Justice, you'll get the first one here. This one comes for us from our good friend, Mr. Mike <laughs> Valerie at FF underscore Dirty Mike on Twitter. And he said, expectations for Trenton Borget this season. For those of you who don't know who that is, that is the or the last year's starter for the Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh, still in a quarterback competition for this year. But Justice, what are you thinking for him this year? So I had to look him up to see which which brother it was, right? Because there's yeah, two say, brothers. I would say Trayson's so over at Western Michigan. Yeah, I had, I had to look up to see which one was which. So, um, I mean, I know of him. I just didn't. I can't keep him straight. Which is which? He. Uh, I, I don't really think much of him. I think um, my personal opinion is it's going to be Drew Pine as the starter, and then maybe Rashada at some point. Um, that's just kind of what I feel like. I think they brought Drew Pine in there for a reason, right? I feel like he's like the bridge guy. Like he's not saying Drew Pine's great or anything, but I feel like he's adequate enough to start for them, you know, this year um, while they, you know, groom Rashada. See, I'll, so I'll, I have I'll, zero I'll, expectations for him. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate then because I actually expect him to win this job. I think Pine has disappointed so far in spring camp for what it sounds like. It sounds like Borget was performing better than they were kind of expecting. Rashada obviously still new. We're kind of both in agreement there that they want Rashada to kind of take over at some point. They just don't know how soon that is going to be. Yeah. I think Borget is your guy to start week one. Again, he has 
I mean, Pine has starting experience as well, but like Pine, like Pine, I don't think people realize how messed up that Notre Dame offense got last year because they couldn't trust Pine to do a damn thing. Like they rushed an absurd amount of times, had to move to a committee approach on their running backs because they're giving their running backs so many carries in that offense last year because they couldn't trust Pine to throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field. So I don't think Pine's going to be the starting quarterback. I think it's going to be Borgett. And it puts him in a pretty good position to potentially be a CFF sleeper here. Again, you got Kenny Dillingham. We saw what he did with Bo Nix last year, so that's great to see. Obviously, um, Borgett doesn't have the experience in the offense like Bo Nix is, so I'm not calling for him to be like a top 12 quarterback or anything like that. But even still, you got a guy with good weapons. They're still in the Pac-12. Arizona State's defense is still pretty rough. Again, it's kind of in the middle of the pack for the Pac-12 and everything like that. If he can just kind of clean up on some of his mistakes, again, he had six interceptions last year, so you don't want to see that. I really think that there is a path to him possibly having like a Jaden Delora kind of season, like like last year's Jaden Delora. Like Jaden Delora threw a ton of touchdowns, but isn't, didn't have a ton of mobility. That's kind of my big question with Borgett is how mobile can they really expect him to be? But the Lord didn't well, have. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I don't expect Bor- I don't know how mobile Borgett really is, but even if he got like Jane Delora numbers and Delora rushed for less than 200 yards last year, if they just get him a couple goal line carries, I think that is like the absolute ceiling. Now, realistically, I expect him to come in a little bit lower than that, but I would not be surprised if he's a top like 40 QB for CFF if he does keep that job the whole year obviously that's the major question there yeah it feels like maybe he could even be a platoon right like yeah he does bad one week pine goes in there pine does bad he comes out you know that would be they're... the nightmare scenario <laughs> that would be the absolute yeah, I nightmare mean, scenario. i'm probably avoiding the situation altogether in any kind of draft <laughs> but the good news is that Borg gets basically going free in most drafts and yeah absolutely, so, like, absolutely if you're going to take a shot on him you're not giving much up here yep that's true. All righty. Thank you for the question, Mike. Let's go ahead and move on to our next one. An- not another. This is just another question about a one specific player, but it is kind of an interesting one. This one's from Todd Vincent on Twitter. He asked, how do we see Jordan Hudson fitting in at SMU? What kind of production are you expecting, and are you targeting him in drafts? Man, I'm torn here. I'm not going to lie, y'all. It, this is like the age-old question of which do you go with? The guy that you that is experienced, the guy that's been there, or do you go with the talent? Because not a doubt in my mind, Hudson's the most talented receiver on this team. But two things can be true at once. He could be the most talented one, but I still think Curley's probably going to be your wide receiver one because of his experience here. Now, I currently have Hudson as my wide receiver 77 with plenty of room to move him up if I start hearing some great things in spring camp. But I, like I mentioned earlier with the question about draft strategy, I'm very comfortable with taking shots on wide receivers in the later rounds. And Hudson's 100% a guy that I'm willing to throw a dart at. Yeah, I have him at wide receiver 77, so it's going to be real late in the draft. But there's kind of a whole tier there of guys like after like wide receiver 48 where my rankings kind of become mush a little bit, where like I'll look at the next 20 guys and just start picking out guys of like, uh, I haven't really taken a shot on him yet. Let me just go ahead and pick him out. So 
I'm very comfortable with taking him in a draft. I don't know if I'm like targeting, like I have to get him by the end of the draft, but if he's there and I don't really see any other receivers that I love, yeah, absolutely, I'll take a shot on him. Here's my thing. I do think that Hudson will kind of eat into Curly a little bit. I don't think Curly's going to get the Rashi Rice treatment last year where he had like 90 receptions and the second guy had only like 30-something receptions. So... That kind of puts my expectation of Hudson a little bit higher than what we saw Curly get last year as the wide receiver too. So let's put Hudson at 50 catches, a little under 800 yards. And I think about six touchdowns is fair. Does that sound fair, Justice? Yeah, yeah. Like just as the wide I mean, receiver too? Yeah, and, and, and like I agree with everything you said. <laughs> um, that's My thinking is kind of the same lines. That Hudson is no doubt in my mind he's the most talented guy. Um, from a talent standpoint, but I do feel like Curly's the number one. Hudson is going to be the number two guy. I have um, I have Hudson ranked fifty seventh, okay. so a little a little higher than you, a but higher. But like, I mean, it, when, but I when you get up. out that far out, like it's like it's kind of like you know, it's going to be personal preference, right? Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent that like Curly's not going to be Rice. So maybe like you put Curly like at I don't know seventy five receptions and Hudson gets like fifty five something like that. I can see, that sounds, I can see Curly you know, getting to eighty, but like there's gonna be a, I think there'll be a clear difference because that's just how lashing rolls is that you have one guy who gets like twenty five yeah, yeah. thirty more catches than the next guy, but even yep. still I think it'd be a little bit closer this year, especially if Hudson does step up. Yep, I agree. Yeah, and I think the absolute floor for Hudson is basically what we got with Curly last year with like 37 receptions, 588 yards, six touchdowns. Like that's the floor in my opinion. And yeah. that's still, again, it's not great for CFF, but like, you know, best ball. Like you could probably have a good week or two in there and everything. You're looking good. And the ceiling is he overtakes Curly and he becomes the widest. Right, and, for last and he year. becomes Rishi Rice. So that, that, that yeah, I was saying that, that just makes the late flyer on him all the worth it. So... Alrighty, let's move on to our next question here. This one comes to us from our good buddy Chris K with the Chris K special, but he does not want to talk about a Chris K special. He wants to ask us about Dante Moore. Uh, he says, where are you drafting Dante Moore right now in each of your various formats you play? So C2C, CFF, Redraft, Best Ball, CFF Dynasty, etc. So a little bit of context on why he's even asking about this. This is this is K being the goose of causing problems on purpose here. I put out a tweet where I was thinking about the UCLA quarterback position, and I was kind of comparing it a little bit to 2020 Alabama, where it felt like the entire industry was convinced that five-star true freshman Bryce Young was going to overtake Mac Jones either before the season started or sometime during the season and I just kind of kept sitting there thinking I'm like well I keep hearing that like Ethan Garbers and Dante Moore kind of battling it out for that number one spot just like Mac Jones and Bryce Young were are too many people dismissing the idea that Ethan Garbers could just be the number one quarterback throughout the entirety of the year because it felt very similar to the Mac Jones Bryce Young situation where Ethan Garbers nobody's drafting him if people are taking a shot on that QB room they're going with Dante Moore and Ethan Garbers is going off and like I did a I did a seventy round C to C draft the other day or not the other day the like last month went super super deep. Ethan Garbers was a free agent by the end of it. 
Dante Moore obviously goes off very early and everything, but nobody thought to like, hey, like this maybe this guy could hold on to this job for a year. I don't know. That's the context behind this. I again, it's not a prediction. I don't think I don't think Garbers will hold on to the job, but I think too many people are kind of dismissing the possibility of that because you know, shiny new five star freshman. So, justice. It's, it's been an inside joke, like I would say, inside joke in the C to C Slack for like months, right? You know. But first, you know, it's Colin Schley and, and more, and now it's Garbers and more. So, yeah. At least Garbers and more was ba- like Schley. That was that was a dumb that was a dumb call on us. Uh, we we should have known that G five to P five would have been a problem there. But still, the reports are that Garbers and Dante Moore are the number one and the number two, and they're battling it out for the number one. So I'll believe the reports for right now. But Justice, it's your turn to answer this question. Where are you drafting him in all of your formats, man? All right, so for Campus Canton, um, he's top two. Um, and the only person that I feel like is in the conversation with him is Malachi Nelson. Um, is this supplemental? And so, or um, C2C supplemental. Okay. Um, so it's supplemental, yeah. Um, I haven't done a C2C startup. I've never, you know, I've actually, I'm in several C2C leagues. And I've only ever done one C2C startup in my entire life. You just take over always end up taking. I end up taking up taking over orphans, so I have zero clue where he's going in startups. But in supplementals, he is a top two pick. Oh, um, and it's him or Malachi Nelson. Um, in CFF Dynasty, I feel like he's—I don't want to say—he's probably a top five pick. Um, and it really depends on the owners, like the order of Nelson, Nico, and more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some people, I mean, my personal preference, I'm probably going to put more third of, of those, um, just cause I feel like the other, the other two have a more, I don't feel like any of them have a super high rushing, um, upside, but I feel like the other two have a more, a higher, uh, passing volume potential mm-hmm. than more does. So I'm going to probably rank them higher, um, for CFF dynasty than more, um, Redraft and best ball, I kind of throw in the same category, and it's going to be like really late, you know, where I'm taking a shot on him, um, because like you said, I don't, I don't expect him. I expect he starts at some point. I don't necessarily expect that he's going to start week one, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, and and to be all honest with you, I'm probably more apt to take him in a best ball, um, where if like you know he ain't starting, I can drop. I mean, well. He, Redraft, I guess I don't know that I would use the roster spot on him is where where I was headed. Um, even though you can drop him and you can't drop him in best ball, but um in, in best ball, I think I would I'd be more apt to give up a you know, one of my I don't know, five or six QB spots to more. Yeah. But it, either either case is gonna be late. Yeah, I'm pretty much right in line with you for the most part. Uh, C2C startup, by the way, his ADP uh in May was twenty two, so near the end of the second round. Uh, and I think that's completely fair. Second round, I'll take that in the C to C startup. Yeah, yeah, that, that's probably a bargain, right? Because tra- who's going ahead of them, other than you know some of the freshmen? It's probably just Drake May, uh, Caleb Williams, Drew Alar, Quinn Ewers. Who else? That, that's probably it, right? In terms Anybody of else? Quarterbacks, probably uh, no. Kyle McCord probably not going after going before him. Devin no, Brown, no. maybe somebody might take him before Dante. I don't know, but I'd have to look it up. Um, but even still, 
like a supplemental pick, I agree with you. Campus of Canton, top two pick for me, it's pretty easy. Like I, 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 again, just because I don't think Dante Moore will immediately take over the starting job and light the world on fire week one for UCLA does not mean I don't think he's a good quarterback. I fully expect him to be an NFL quarterback one day. It's just I've seen this bo- I've seen this book written before. I've seen I've watched this movie before. Guys don't have to start as freshmen to become NFL quarterbacks down the line. And they can start they can be behind some really bad quarterbacks and still become NFL draft picks one day. I mean just ask Justin Fields. Just ask um just ask um a bunch like ask a bunch of guys. I don't know why I brain farted there for a second, but again, you guys you guys get my point. C to C Dante Moore, easy top two pick in supplemental drafts. CFF Dynasty, I agree with you, Justice. He's top four pick for me. It's between him, Nelson, Nico, and I throw Baxter in the top four, and I think that's a pretty clear tier right there of all of those guys. Best ball, I'm with you on both best ball and redraft. Very late if I do so. And in best ball, I'm only doing it if I can double tap him with Garbers. And then in redraft, I'm with you. With a limited roster space, I'm probably just letting him go undrafted. I'm not taking the roster space on that because a lot of the redraft leagues I do only go like 16 to 20 spots deep. And I don't want to hold on to a guy that may start. And even if he does start, I don't think he'll have his full CFF potential unlocked in year one as a true freshman. So probably not worried about him that much in redraft. If there, there's one thing I would add to like a dynasty league, and it was something um, I thought about before our, our current draft is, um, I, you know, I can see I can see an argument for taking him over um, Nico and Malachi Nelson from the simple fact that with those two guys, you're probably getting two years, right? And that's mm-hmm. it. With Dante Moore, you, it's a good chance you get two and a half years at least, right? Maybe three. Maybe three. And so you're getting. And so maybe you're getting an extra year out of him. So I can see a path to putting him over those other two guys, even though, you know, that other two guys uh, on a system basis are earned better systems. All righty. Let's move on to the next question here. This one comes from our good buddy, Sal. Thank you, Chris K. Before that question as well, Sal asks, how high are you all on Casey Thompson at Florida Atlantic? And I get to answer this question first. And the answer it is, Sal, I quite frankly have been high on him enough. I knew I liked this landing spot for uh, Casey Thompson. And he's been one of those guys that's been pretty disappointing for the most part throughout his career. Some of us thought he might do really well with Mark Whipple at Nebraska last year. Didn't quite work out over there. There's a lot of things going on with Nebraska last year, so I don't fully put that on Casey Thompson, but now he's reunited with Tom Herman, the guy he initially committed to at FAU. And let's take a look at what Tom Herman was able to do with Sam Ellinger during his time at Texas. Again, Sam Ellinger threw for 3,000 yards three years in a row. Rush increases rushing totals three years in a row from 385 to 482 to 663. Tons of rushing touchdowns there. Now, you can say to me, Jared, he is he is not Sam Ellinger, to which I will probably reply to you, yeah, he is not. But at the same time, 
He does show some rushing ability. Again, last year at Nebraska was a little rough, but they still got him five touchdowns. So they clearly were letting him run the ball a little bit over there. And he's playing in FAU, and we'll talk about the AAC here in a little bit, but their de- the, the v- defenses he will be facing are worse than he would be facing in the Big 12 or the Big 10. So I think he's going to perform a, a lot better. You got a big fish in a small pond going on over there. He has no draft stock to worry about. All he has to do is just go out there and ball out. There's no protecting him. There, or I mean, obviously, you don't want to protect your your health regardless. But, like, he's not there really to build up draft stock. He is there to just go out and play some ball, put up some numbers. Let's go back to Ellinger. In 2018, if you take Ellinger's regular season stats, he would have finished as the QB7. In 2019, you would have taken his regular season stats, also would have finished as a QB7 last year. There's potential here for Casey Thompson to just absolutely let loose at FAU. And if Tom Herman basically runs him like he did with Sam Ellinger, there's top 10 QB potential here. I currently have him ranked at QB, I believe I put him at 40-something? 45. Put him at QB 45, and quite frankly... If I talk myself more into this, I might be moving him up even more. He's got some good weapons there. Again, I love LeJonte Wester this year. I think that there's a ton of fun things that could go on here. So, Justice, bring me back down to earth here, man. Yeah, so I was What are your thoughts on Casey Thompson? No, I agree with you. I think where you're getting him, I don't know what his ADP is, but my guess is like it's really late. We're getting Um, him free. Yeah. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take him there in a, in a redraft league. Um, I, I was just trying to look up how many years of eligibility he has left, and it looks like he's only got one. He's only me. got the one, unfortunately. Um, even though he played only four games in 2019, looks like he was on the roster in 18, so that would have been his, his one kind of free redshirt year other than the COVID year, so to speak. Um, no, absolutely, in, in a redraft league, right, he's someone that you can wait on and, like, you're getting him at like QB four, right? QB five, and he can be your QB one. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. Like he, he's someone that is being underdrafted, probably in redraft leagues. Yeah, I, I, I it was like, like I said at the very top of this. I knew I liked the landing spot, but once I started putting numbers to this and everything, I'm like, holy mackerel! Like again. Do I think he's going to be Sam Ellinger? Not quite, probably. Again, I think Sam Ellinger had much better rushing than he does. So even though there's a drop in competition, he probably doesn't reach Sam Ellinger um, rushing numbers through touchdowns or um, or the yardage. But at the same time, man, there is like there's that potential just sitting there. And even if he doesn't reach those numbers, you're still looking at a guy that could finish in your top 36 QBs. You're looking at a guy that'll be a starter for you several weeks out of the season. So I I have Casey ranked 50th. 50th? Okay, I'm at 45. I'm honestly willing to move him up if I think about it a little longer. So don't let me think about it too long, Justice. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy over (laughs) here. Let's go ahead and move on to our next question here. This one comes to us from our buddy Heath Boyd. And he says... Do you think Army running out of the shotgun is a foreshadowing of our country's increasing aggressiveness abroad? Or is it all just a political stunt to trick us into watching the same team do the same things with different promises? Basically, what all that gobbledygook meant is Army has a new offensive coordinator. They say they're going to move away from the triple option system to a more, I would say, hybrid between 
like like a, oh, like a Jamie I, Chadwell, right? Yeah, like a hybrid shotgun offense. So, Justice, I will ask you first. What do you think? Do you think that Army is actually going to change the way they do things, or is it going to be pretty much more of the same? Well, I think Army may want to change the way they do things, but whether they have the 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 talent or, or players to actually do that's probably another story, right? So what I'm Fair point. I haven't really followed this that closely, but what I'm envisioning is maybe they're moving more towards, like I said, a Jamie Chadwell type, you know, spread RPO triple option. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know that I would have any expectations beyond what I would normally have for Army. Um, and that's the, the, you know, it's from a CFF fantasy standpoint, that's the quarterback possibly, and maybe a running back if one kind of separates himself. Um, but certainly they're not going to, I would not expect them to be as efficient as Jimmy Chadwell's offense, especially not like if they're true, that's truly what they're going to do. I wouldn't expect that year one to be that, that efficient. So I don't think that's quite what they're going to do. So let me tell you about Drew Thatcher, their new offensive coordinator here. He was the offensive coordinator at the University of Nebraska, Kearney, in 2022. Army had 104 total passing attempts last year. Uh, UNK had 179. So there is still mostly yeah, a, tri- a big difference. I would say still a mostly triple option offense here, but you know, you do see that increase in passing attempts right there. You see the uh, number of passing yards per game go up to about 137 passing yards per game compared to what army has right now, which is abysmal. And there is a little bit of intrigue here. They really do let their QB kind of throw it a little bit more than we definitely have seen army do the last couple of years. The quarterback at UNK TJ Davis through 167 times for 1,370 yards and 16 touchdowns. That's pretty much unheard of for a army running or army quarterback. And he got that production on the ground. He led the team in rushes, 191 rushing attempts for 1,136 yards and 13 touchdowns to go along with that. I don't know who army's starting quarterback is going to be this upcoming year. I know uh, Mox is big on Coleman over there. But if you give me a guy with thirteen hundred or with eleven hundred and thirty-six rushing touchdowns or rushing yards, excuse me, and thirteen touchdowns, and you can get me sixteen passes through the air, I'm kind of a little bit interested in that. But in terms of the running backs, I think it's going to be mostly more of the same here. In terms of like they're going to split up the running backs, you're not going to see one guy get the major carries. It's just got a little bit more potential in the passing game than we've seen in the past. I mean, it seems like every now and then you do see one guy, um, but like trying to predict that, like you just can't, I don't think. Right. Uh, Air force is probably the easiest one because like they have, they, they typically have more consistent for sure. Yeah. So, but again, that's, that's army. Got more, any more thoughts on that justice or we can, we move on to (laughs) a couple of dynasty questions here. Yeah. I'm ready to move on. All right, we got a couple of questions about freshmen here. First one comes to us from our buddy Brandon Sanders at CFF University on Twitter. He asks, do you like the potential of Barry Jackson at Cincinnati or Jaden Greathouse at Notre Dame? 
more for a breakout candidate of the year for freshman wide receivers. And I think Brandon took both of these guys in our supplemental draft. He, def- he definitely took Barry Jackson. I don't know if he took Great House. I think I he, took, he took, I'm Barry pretty Jackson. sure he took Great House as well. Um, so uh, who's up first? I'm up first. So I'll, I'll kind of be quick about this one. I like Jackson's potential way more before they brought in Xavier Henderson to Cincinnati. I think that his breakout potential kind of got nerfed pretty badly there when not only they brought in a guy from an SEC school, but a guy that has worked with Emory Jones before already kind of has that connection right there. If there's going to be a receiver who stands out for Cincinnati this year, it's going to be probably Xavier Henderson. And even still, more than likely, there's going to be nobody that really stands out there and you just kind of call it a day. Versus Great House, I think Great House is in a pretty great position here. He kind of fills that big body need for Notre Dame when they don't really have another tight end that's really kind of stood out behind Michael Meyer. He plays in that slot, so he'll be kind of on the interior of the field like the tight ends would have been for the most part. And Hardman needs some receiving targets. There's not a lot of great options there at Notre Dame. But the problem is he is playing in the slot, as I mentioned, but that's kind of where Notre Dame has some of their best options at receiver. They got Jaden Thomas, and they got Chris Tyree, who's moving over from running back. So unless they're constantly running four wideout sets, and they're constantly having two slots out there, probably nerfs Greathouse a little bit. But if I had to pick one guy, I'd go with Jaden Greathouse. Your thoughts, Justice? So I I don't want to belabor the point, but um, we... If if I, if you're interested in more information on these two guys, I'd go back and watch the episode that Chris K and I did yes, because sir. we spent we spent quite a bit of time on both of these two individuals. Um, to answer the question, it's going to be great house for me all day. Um, I think I said uh, in that on on that show that you know I felt like Jackson was like getting hyped up on like too much. Um, so while I was preparing for that show, I'm trying to find like his spring game stats. They don't exist, right? And so I'm just reading like articles. And basically the only thing that says is like he caught, you know, a long touchdown pass from Drogosh. So what does that tell me? Uh, number one, like he was, he wasn't with the first team. Um, so he's with the second team, I'm assuming. And, you know, the the one the one thing I will say that I found from a positive standpoint for Jackson is that there were it was there was consistently comments about him and that he's playing well, um and so that 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 is that is a positive certainly for a freshman, whereas you know Great House kind of like like you said and, and like Chris K and I both talked about it feels like he can take over that that tight end kind of production that that middle of the that possession type guy. For Notre Dame, you know, and he had a crazy stat line for the uh, for the spring game was like eleven catches, something like that. Uh, like, I think it was nine for one hundred and eighteen yards, no touchdowns. Maybe he had double digit targets. Um, yeah. And 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 Sam Hartman's there, right? And yeah. so who who am I going to trust more, Sam Hartman or Emory Jones when it comes to passing the ball? Like that's a no brainer, I think. Exactly. So, yeah, great house for sure. Alrighty, let's go ahead and move on to the next one here. So that was Great House versus Barry Jackson. What about this? Justin comes from our friend Shane Whitehead here. 
between Nelson and Nico, which are you drafting first for CFF only? Oh man. So <laughs> that, that is like a tough question. Um, and I, and like, I thought, you know, that I might get a choice. I, well, I didn't think I'd get a choice. I figured the choice would be made for me, but if I had to choose between the two, I'm probably slightly leaning to Nelson. Okay. Interesting. Um, I feel like it's super close between the two. So you're nitpicking to make a difference. Um, I, Nico's his, his thin build worries me a little and will, and will he be able to, you know, last in the sec, I guess. So Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, that's probably my reasoning why. So I slightly prefer Nico again. This is you're, you're picking between two, two of your children here. Like you're, yeah. Like both of these guys are going to be studs, but the reason I'm going to lean towards Nico is one reason, one reason only. There's nobody between Nico and that starting job with Joe Milton. If Joe Milton were to go, in at USC, I still think Malachi Nelson will be the starter next year, but Miller Moss is still there, and he's being a pain in the rear by not leaving. So there's still that like three, four, five percent chance that Nelson gets delayed two years before he sees the field because for some reason Miller Moss wins that starting job. Again, I think it's very unlikely. Well, but if you give me the yeah. two options and you're nitpicking here, like I'll yeah, take the guy you're who, absolutely right. You're nitpicking. Like you're nitpicking here, but like give me the guy who it's already clearly the number two guy versus like with USC they're like, oh Miller Moss is still technically our backup right now behind Caleb and I'm just like mm, how long does that last? But regardless, it's still there. So I think that's what's going to let me lean towards Nico just a little bit. Well, I do. I do think like Moss is probably the backup for at least the first half of the year. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. disagree one on that at all. But next year, when we expect both these guys to be starters, if Miller Moss is starting over Malachi Nelson, then we're in trouble. A, a lot of people were wrong, right? Mm-hmm. They're we're in wrong. Trouble. And like again, just a reminder, by the way, this is for CFF only. That's what Shane asked for here. If this was a C to C draft, I'd go Nelson all day long. I think there's a lot of questions yeah, regarding yeah, Nico's ability to translate to the NFL. I trust Nelson a lot more on that. But in terms of just CFF, give me Nico. All right. Yeah. Next question here. We got another question regarding freshman quarterbacks. I'm going to keep this one short, but this comes from our friend Kevin Coleman at the boys underscore 22 from the Devi Roy Al. He asked better investment in CFF dynasty, Jackson Arnold or Dante Moore. Again, I'll be quick on this one. I have some questions with Moore in terms of like how high his ceiling will be because I don't know how well his rushing will be. But as Nate pointed out in our Slack and good on him for this, DTR's rushing stats in high school were not great either, like Dante Moore, and we all know DTR is a rushing quarterback now. But even so, I still probably go with Moore because if he does unlock that rushing ability, his ceiling is going to be higher on a year-to-year basis at UCLA. I love Jackson Arnold. I consider him the last of like the elite quarterbacks in this year's draft for CFF Dynasty. But to me, he's decidedly the fourth guy. The other three, you can argue, I think, between like who you would take first and everything. But Arnold, while great, is still that fourth guy. So I'm going to take more over Arnold here. Your thoughts, Justice? So I think Arnold, 
if, 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 if everything was in a vacuum, I think Arnold will, might be the choice. From the standpoint, I feel like he has a higher uh, scoring average than Dante Moore or higher potential. Mm-hmm. But given wow. where you have to draft both of these guys, right, they're both going to be first-round picks. And so I'm going to take Dante Moore because I just feel like it's way safer, right, mm-hmm. um, than Arnold because, the, you know, they got Michael Hawkins coming in next year. Um, and I think Arnold's probably better than Hawkins, but, like, yeah, I don't know, right? And so yeah. obviously Hawkins could change his mind. Dante Moore is, like, the guy for the next three years at UCLA. And so if I've got to spend a first-round pick, uh, and, and an investment, as as Kevin put it, I'm taking more. Right, that's that's a more sound investment, safer investment. All right, fair enough. All right, next question comes to us from Benjamin Jacob. He left us like five questions. I had to choose one, but I do I do love this question. Actually, this is actually it got, it got me thinking a little bit with some of these teams. What new Big Twelve team are you the most interested in from a CFF? perspective so again your your new big 12 teams byu cincinnati houston and ucf which one are you the most interested in justice so i actually ranked them um houston was number one for me ucf was number two byu third and cincinnati fourth um i just feel like the houston offense um from a cff perspective offers more options you know, a, a decent quarterback, a good running back, and maybe two options at receiver. And so when I'm looking at, like, a, from a team perspective, I'm thinking, like, you know, who has the more draftable options or, or viable draftable options? And for me, that's Houston. I think you're right in terms of, like, they'll be the ones that translate the best to, like, produ- still producing on a week-by-week basis. I kind of interpreted this question a little bit differently in terms of, like, I – I'm having the most fun trying to figure out BYU. They're the team that like I am currently the most interested in because I feel like for the most part we have Houston figured out and stuff like that. But BYU, there's so many questions left here. And the fact is out of the four teams here, and shout out to CFB winning edge for some of these stats, BYU has the lowest defensive roster strength score of these four teams coming into this league. That means they're going to be behind in a ton of games. And I hesitate to say this. Maybe best is not the right word, but I do think out of these four teams, they have the best, maybe not best, like most experienced passer of the bunch with Keaton Slovis. Because you go to Cincinnati, you got Emory Jones, UCF, John Rice Plumley, and then Houston. I'm still trying to figure out Donovan Jones. I don't really know how good of a passer he is. But Keaton Slovis definitely brings in the most experience. He's, he sounds like he's fitting in real well over there. And they have great receiving weapons to, for him to work with, with Roberts, Hill, Epps. I'm definitely having the most fun out of these four researching BYU and trying to figure them out. And the best part about BYU, three of the four last weeks of the season, they're playing the three worst defenses according at least according to defensive roster strength from uh, uh, CFP winning edge in the Big 12. They're playing West Virginia, they're playing Oklahoma State, and they're playing Iowa State. Those are the three worst defenses in the Big 12 outside of... West Virginia might be one of the worst defenses in all the nation. And so, like, BYU, there's a lot of interest there for me. Because, again, you pick up some of those guys, you nail the guys that are productive on a week-by-week basis, 
you could have some guys that are great, great picks for championship week right there. Again, obviously things are, can change, but if you're asking me like what's which one of them's piquing my interest the most, it's got to be the Cougars. Well, there's two Cougars, right? Ah, oh, shoot. Houston and BYU. So, the, the hey, Mor- but you're not wrong, right? The, 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 the we both, Mormon we Cougars. both said Cougars. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cop-out. <laughs> All righty. Let's move on to our next question here. This one comes to us from our good buddy down in the comments and in the Discord. Mr. Brett Piney. Very similar question to kind of a... Or not similar question. I'm letting y'all know I'm going to talk about defenses a lot in the next, like, two questions. So, like, that's why they're all similar in my head. But Brett asks, how would you rank the Power 5 conferences in being CFF defensively friendly? So, which conferences will play more of those track meets games compared to some of the others. I, like Justice in the last question, I did rank all five. To me, very clearly, the best one for CFF, at least if things hold from what they were last year, it's got to be the Pac-12. You're looking at seven teams in that conference that were 100-plus in defensive team performance in all of FBS. They are horrendous in terms of being able to stop offenses out there at West. It's why we love those Pac-12 games after dark. They're high scoring. Your guys are getting tons and tons of work. To me, the Pac-12 is easily the best conference to invest in if you're just looking at for guys to take shots on and hope that they get into some high scoring games. Next tier, I put the Big 12 and the ACC. These are like the coin flip high-scoring games. You're going to have a ton of over-unders in these conferences that range from like 55 to 60. But they're not going to end in the 55 to 60 range. They're either going to be have... Um, they're either going to finish with 30 total points or they're going to finish with like 90 points scored. They're not going to finish in that 55 to 60 range. But you don't know which ones are going to be which really. So I think that the, that's kind of the next one. SEC is then the the ones below that, mostly because the offenses are getting a little bit better over there. Their defenses aren't holding up as well. But still, you got some really good defenses over in the SEC. So I would kind of put them fourth. And then easily, Big Ten is the worst. Uh, in terms of just in a generalized standpoint, you have low-scoring games, tons of offenses that are run heavy, good defenses, slow down the clock, less plays run per game. Big 10, easily the worst out of the Power 5 conferences. Pac-12, easily the best in my opinion. What do you think, Justice? So, generally, I agree. Um, I ranked them as well. Um, I do have a different number one than you. Okay. But I kind of view this as like three different tiers. Okay. And so, in that top tier is the Big 12 and the Pac-12. I had the Big 12 ranked number one, Pac-12 ranked number two. But I think you're nitpicking between the two. Um, The next tier, I had the ACC and the SEC. Um, And I did rank the ACC third and SEC fourth. I do think the SEC has better offenses, but they also have, like, better defenses. It might not necessarily show from, like, a score standpoint, but – the SEC has the strongest defensive talent, you know, of any conference, bar none. Of course. Um, and then, and then, and 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 then a third, like, like you said, clear, clear bottom tier or or, or fifth, fifth is the Big Ten, right? Yeah. 
they're just their offenses um, are just so old school, right? And mm-hmm. and if anything, they've gotten more old school with uh, Brom leaving um, Purdue and going to going to Louisville. So hey, we, hey, yeah. we got the dairy raid coming into Wisconsin, so that'll probably help their average a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but they, but they like to. I mean, you know, Longo runs the ball a lot too. But obviously, he's not going to be like Wisconsin of the past. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll go ahead and move on to the next question here. One, because we're running out of time. But two, it's a very similar question to the last one. This one comes to us from Chris on Twitter. Which college football conference tends to produce the most reliable fantasy football performers? And what factors really kind of contribute to that success? Justice, you'll start off with this one. What are your thoughts on this question? So I got two answers, one a P5 and a G5 answer. Perfect. That's why I'm going with two. and so my P5 answer was the Big 12 um, for all the reasons we talked about earlier. Um, it just feels like, you know, they're, I can't think of a, even Kansas, right? Like who you would think like traditionally, maybe not, yep. but I, I can't think of a, of, of a single team there that's like, you know, doesn't have, you know, one or two really, really good fantasy options. Um, and for the, for the G5, I picked the Mac conference, right? Um, Cause I just, I love, I love Maction, right? I don't, I don't think they play, they don't play great defense. Right. And like, no, and we, and we, and we talk about all the time you get into the Mac, you get into the Maction the Tuesday night games. And like, you're waiting to say like, who's the guy that goes off absolutely bonkers. Right. Because it seems to have last year seemed to be a down year for that. Yeah. But generally speaking, like, it seems like there's, there, you know, there's, there's a guy going bonkers every week. Right. So and those, every those game are my it two. feels like there's at least one. Yeah. 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 So I'm glad you, I'm glad you picked those two conferences because I'm actually going to go two different conferences here again. As I kind of spoiled in the last question, everything Pac-12 is my Power Five here. Already kind of discussed why. Again, they got seven hundred plus defensive uh, team performances there. They also had four of the top twelve QBs in CFF last year. They had two of the top twelve running backs. Six teams from the Pac-12 were in the top twenty-five in yards per game. Five were in the top twenty-five in terms of points per game. Four in the top 25 for rush yards per game and four in the top 25 for pass yards per game. Those are all above average in terms of how many you would expect out of each conference. Um, So again, that's my reason for the Pac-12. Again, they're going to put up points again this year because I don't think any of those teams really got that much better on defense. And then my G5 conference, you went the MAC. I'm going the AAC. Again, another conference where you had seven teams, 100-plus in defensive team performance last year, and they're getting decidedly, and I mean decidedly weaker in terms of who they're losing and who yeah. they're bringing in in terms of defense. They lose Cincinnati. They lose um, They lose UCF. They lose Houston. Three teams who all had pretty decent defensive production, and who are they bringing in? Charlotte, who was 129th in defense last year. Florida Atlantic, 110th last year. Uh, North Texas, 119th. Rice, 116th. And even UTSA and UAB, they're hovering in that kind of 50 to 70 range. And you're bringing in some pretty good offenses as well. I talked about Tom Herman. I expect them to do very well at FAU. UTSA, we all love Frank Harris. We all love Joshua Cephas. We all love all of those guys over there with the Roadrunners. UAB, their rushing attacks coming in here. North Texas should be looking pretty good this year with Eric Morris kind of coming in there as well. 
I think the AAC is decidedly going to become one of the one of the conferences where we are looking at them and saying, all right, which games are going to hit 90 plus this week? Because there's going to be two of them per week, probably at least. I'm not I'm not nearly as excited about the AAC as you are from the simple fact that like to me, I view it as like Conference USA 2.0. And so um, Conference USA put yeah. up plenty of points for CFF. I'm just pointing that out. They did. They did. I just I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you make you make valid points for sure. Alrighty, and then let's hit up our last question here. This was a fun one because again, this is kind of like the one where somebody's like, "All right, dig deep, go for a sleeper here." And this one comes to us from Dan. He specifically asked, "Who is a Sun Belt player that we are not talking about in June that we will be talking about in October?" I. I kind of use this question as an opportunity to answer a question that I've been kind of wanting to research for a while. And that to me is the fact that we're not talking about the James Madison wide receiver room enough. I mean, you got Chris Thornton gone now. He did pretty well last year, except for the fact that he had five touchdowns in the first two weeks and then scored two the rest of the year. That sucked. But um, so somebody's got to replace him. And so I kind of took the opportunity here and thought to myself like, well, no, James Madison wide receivers are really being heavily targeted in drafts. So I feel like anybody I say here will be applicable. So I took a look, I kind of took a dive into their wide receiver room here. Again, Thornton, slot guy. Thousand yards, seven touchdowns. What are we looking at in terms of replacement? My immediate thought was Reggie Brown. He's the veteran, but he's kind of sitting there on the outside. The system doesn't typically target the outside pretty heavily. So I take a shot on Reggie Brown, but I don't know if he's going to be the guy I'm going to list here. The guy I am going to go with here is a man by the name of Amarian Dollison, a transfer wide receiver from South Florida. He has not had a super productive year. He's never reached 300 yards in a single season with the South Florida Bulls, so that's definitely concerning. But he does play in that slot. Last year that he was at USF, he played 67% in the slot. With Thornton put himself right around 71%, so he pretty much plays right about the same number of, slot, of snaps in the slot. Good Lord, almost tripped over my own tongue there. But here's the other fun part. Dollison was at South Florida with Jordan McLeod. Jordan McLeod, currently, I would say, is probably your favorite to be the James Madison quarterback. I Again, I don't think anybody's really a standout there, but if I had to pick one, I'd go with Jordan McLeod. You get some familiarity with those two, and he's in the position that typically feasts in this kind of offense. And this offense has been known to take very bad quarterbacks like Todd Santeo and turn them into CFF assets. I'm going to say Amarian Dollison is kind of my sunbelt sleeper here. That's who I'm going to roll with for this question. So, Justice, your thoughts on him, and who's your guy? So this is a great question for me because I feel like I, well, I think I wrote over half the Sunbelt team previews for the CFF guide. So Ooh, I feel like I'm give us a little preview. I'm fairly fairly versed in uh, the Sunbelt and I actually wrote the one for James Madison. But you made a connection that I did not make in terms of McLeod and and Dollison being from South Florida because you know they both were at some point in their careers. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see it with Dollison. I think my biggest concern from for writing um, JMU up in the the team preview is their quarterback situation. Oh yeah. Um, 
I yeah, I just don't know that anyone's going to be as productive as Todd Santeo, uh, regardless of who they pick. So that kind of concerns me a little bit. Yeah, but Todd Santeo is not um, a good quarterback either. He's not. He's not. But I mean, I feel like he at least, in my opinion, showed more than McLeod has shown at this point in his mm. career. Um, another another guy who I thought maybe you were going to mention uh, with JMU. Um, is Surratt. Elijah Surratt? Yeah, Surratt. yeah. Who, who's uh, was was he? I can't know. If, I don't know if he's an FCS All American, but he was super productive at the FCS level. Yeah, St. Francis. Um, and so, and so, you know, he's he's you know he's he's another one too that, to keep an eye on. Um, so I wrote down I wrote down three names. The first one uh, I'm just gonna go really quick here is Tyrone Howe. And you might be saying, oh well, you know he he kind of broke out last year, and I agree with that, but I, you know, the the, the thing to think him. about it, he can be, can he be more consistent, right? If you look at his stats, he had three monster games, right? And that's pretty much where all his stats came from. Um, and so if he can be more consistent, can he jump up a whole nother level? Um, and I think you might have wrote the ULM preview, so maybe you can speak more, more to their, their, them and their quarterbacking, but he's just an interesting name that I feel like he's underappreciated. Um, these next two guys are, are are folks that you know I feel like are going to step into roles where they can be super productive, um, and that's Marcus Carroll at uh, Georgia State. Love that so call. Tucker Gregg, Tucker Gregg, and Jamies Williams are both gone. Uh, they ran, they combined for 1,152 yards rushing and 18 touchdowns, right? And Marcus Carroll is 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 you know by all accounts the RB one there. And so I think, you know, he's going to at least get, get you double-digit touchdowns, and he's going to be that that 1A, if you will. The last guy I want to mention is probably, like, really, really super-duper deep, and that's Lance Lehendre. Um, the name might not sound familiar. He was a one-time quarterback. He was at Maryland. He is now at Louisiana Lafayette. And so I actually wrote their team preview yesterday. And, you know, Michael Jefferson is gone. He had 51 um, catches on – I believe 81 targets last year, 810 yards and seven touchdowns. And someone's got to, you know, someone's going to step into that role. And I feel like Lahendre is the best bet to do that. Um, and, you know, he might do more because he, he, I feel like he's a playmaker and they're going to want to get him the ball in space. Um, and so, you know, he's someone that you're getting, like he's probably not even, he's not, I know he's not getting drafted. Right. So, you know, it's, it's someone to keep an eye on. Um mm-hmm. And maybe take take a dart throw later to put on your waiver wire and watch as the season goes on. Man, I forgot about Lance Lehendre. Um, in terms of the UL quarterback, UL, ULM quarterback situation. Good lord, Jared, speak English. Uh, it's probably more dire than the James Madison one is. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of that, 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 that was that was what I was afraid of. <laughs> it's 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 pretty bad. They're they're looking to start probably Jaya Wright at quarterback, and he hasn't thrown a pass for them since 2021. So. And, he, and when he did, he threw two touchdowns, but he also threw two interceptions. So it, it was kind of kind of rough. I mean, Tyrone Howell seems like the perfect best ball pick, right? Just oh, looking yeah. at his stat, stat yeah. sheet from last year. He either went for 30 points or, or like nothing. <laughs> he went for five yards or 300, it felt like. Yeah, he did. Like He literally did. Like He had like a 250-yard game and like a 10-yard game. I would say it's, it, uh, that's not an exaggeration, so... Alrighty, that that was fun. That was good, good variety of different questions there. Um, again, pretty much covered everything there. Got a lot of stuff as we kind of close out here to just kind of let you guys know about. 
Again, CFF guy, that is coming at the 1st of July. We're working really hard to get that done and ready for you guys for that 4th of July weekend, right before a lot of your redraft leagues get started up. So we're very, very excited about that. Again, Justice, Nate, Brandon, Ethan, and Mox have all been working tire. Oh, and Kay, excuse me, I forgot. almost forgot to mention Kay. All of them have been working tirelessly to get all those team previews done. We're getting ready to kick up our player profiles. That's going to be a ton of fun. We got a lot of great stuff coming for you guys in that guide. Justice, anything that you're working on right now, man, you want to let people know about? The CFF guide? Yeah, okay. I, I beat <laughs> you, you know, to it. I mean, <laughs> that's, you know, I wrote two previews yesterday. I think I have uh, Troy left to finish, and then we're done with the previews, and then, you know, going from there. Yeah, I got that. Uh, I am on, on our Debbie IDP Grind podcast. We'll be starting our conference preview series here uh, probably next week, a week after. Um, that's if you're in an IDP league, that's a must listen. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. And again, I, I, I have three teams left. One is UL Monroe. I, I hadn't written that one yet, so I had to do a little bit of quick research for you there, Justin. Um, and then Mississippi yeah. State and Stanford are my last two. So, again, got a good variety of teams I've written about this year. It's been fun. Alrighty, really appreciate all of you guys listening. It has been fun to really kind of get back into the groove of Jason Natty and looking forward to these next couple of months where, again, got those live draft streams uh, starting up here soon and got a lot of ton, ton of fun topics for you guys over the next couple of weeks. So until then, appreciate you guys and have a wonderful and blessed week.